Thank you for downloading this podcast from the Pardes Institute of Jewish Studies. This episode of Pardes from Jerusalem features Tova Lea Nachmani, a Passover exclusive on Parashat Tzav. This week is the final week to take part in the Pardes Daily Passover Challenge. Be sure to get your exclusive app with all podcasts from faculty members of the Pardes Institute of Jewish Studies. Please visit www.pardes.org.il forward slash Pardes Daily. And now, Tovalea Nachmani. Parshat Tzav, Shabbat HaGadol, and Pesach. Freedom, getting more in control or letting go of control? In the few days leading up to Pesach, one of the things I look forward to most at the Seder is the moment of eating the matzah. When I shared that with my daughter, she looked at me skeptically and she said, are you serious? What could be exciting about crunching on a plain, boring piece of matzah? So in the spirit of Seder night, I'll start with a few questions about matzah and freedom. And at the end, I will share a personal story and a two-minute matzah meditation that I look forward to using every year. So first of all, is matzah a symbol of slavery or a symbol of freedom? Which is it? Is it the bread of affliction, like we say in the beginning of the Seder? Ha lachman, ya, this is the bread of affliction that our ancestors ate in Egypt. Or is it the bread of freedom? since we were liberated so suddenly that we didn't have time for our dough to rise. What's the logic of having one symbol, matzah, for opposite and opposing ideas? Another question, when we think of our national story moving from slavery to freedom and how this night is different than all other nights, we might want to stop and ask ourselves, does being free mean having more control of what happens in our lives? or having less control? In other words, does this night of freedom remind us to tighten our grip on the reins of our everyday existence, to get more and more in control of more and more aspects of our lives as our digital technologies are now affording us? Or, on the contrary, does this night of eating matzah invite us to loosen our grip, to trust more, to give in more, to be more flexible, more compromising, and more surrendering to the processes that are unfolding and and evolving in our lives. If the aim of becoming free from slavery and from enslaving habits is about taking more control over our lives, where's the fine line between wanting to be in control and wanting to be too much in control or in too much control? Matzah is definitely the main character of our Passover Seder. In fact, the entire Seder is framed and structured around the matzah. How many times do you think matzah is mentioned during the Seder? Guess. So I counted seven times. Seven times during the Passover Seder, the matzah takes center stage, and I'm going to share in chronological order in the Haggadah a few reflections about each of those seven. The first time the matzah is mentioned is the opening announcement. This is the bread of affliction, the bread of poverty, the bread of suffering that our ancestors ate in Egypt. 
This starts off the Magid, this telling of the story of the Exodus. We start out by saying this year we are slaves and next year we will be free. Or maybe, may we be free next year? Are we hoping to be free or are we choosing to be free? The hope is attached to the belief that it is possible. For example, to be free of violence in our nation or to be free of strife in our homes. Sometimes it's our choice and ours only to be free. For example, when there's a difference between the way we're experiencing the world or our homes and the way we've decided we want it to be, we feel we have to do something about it. And if we don't or we can't reduce the gap between what we're experiencing and what we want, our health on some basic level can be compromised. Depression, for example, is a disorder of power. Power alone in and of itself is good. It's the ability to act, to make the efforts to get closer to what we want. But control can be bad. Control can be using power to govern and regulate someone else or to try to regulate the outcome of a situation that is really out of my control. Over the years, the Haggadah's four sons, four children, was actually my least favorite part of the Haggadah of Seder night. This happened when my children were moving beyond the sweet years of acting out Passover scenes with me, doing fun songs and dances. And then they started to become cynical teenagers. The cynical child, the Rasha, the one who says, what is this service to you? forced me to face that I had actually harbored hopes of, of some semblance of control over my children and that those hopes were a lost cause. So what did I choose? How did I move from a sense of suffering and slavery to a feeling of freedom? The way I did it is I wrote a matzah meditation and I practice this every year at the Seder and I've shared it with you in the source sheet. Number two, the second time matzah comes up, here's the second mention of matzah and the Seder. How is this night different? Why on this night do we eat only matzah and not chametz? Is the very first of the four questions. The first two questions, matzah and bitter herbs, are about slavery. The second two of the manishtana questions about dipping and reclining are about freedom. No one chooses slavery. On the contrary, we're happy when we're able to have control over our schedules, our destiny, in the forms of self-determination and autonomy. Freedom and independence are all situations we celebrate. It makes us happy to get to be in charge of our own time and to be in charge of our choices. When we get to choose for ourselves what to buy, what to watch, what to read, what to do with our time, we feel enabled and empowered. We feel relaxed and calm. But there's an issue with wanting to be too much in control. Many of us hold on to control for dear life. We push for things to happen and for people to act the way we want them to, and we become stressed when the outcomes don't measure up to be what we hoped or imagined. I've gotten upset when someone arrives late or forgets to bring what I asked them to pick up on their way over, or buys me a different brand of something that I didn't ask for. I can get tense just thinking about some of these things. 
One of the primary causes of frustration and resentment and one of the killers of intimacy in a marriage or with other close loving relationships is not the major differences we have necessarily. The most common wedge in our emotional closeness is often driven between us through micromanaging each other. The small stuff of being told what to do or what not to do is what drives people away from each other emotionally. I'm learning an approach of honoring the people I love by letting them do what is good for them, by letting them choose, by letting go of my need to have things my way, by being more and more okay with our differences. It's a long process to learn that. I'm still in process. Control and our desire for control is rooted in fear. We try to control all kinds of things and people and outcomes because we're scared about what might happen if we don't. The question is, is my fear a paralyzing fear or a catalyzing fear? Rabbi Dov Zinger is an Israeli educator, a spiritual thinker, a writer, and author of a brief and beautiful new book about preparing for prayer. He was the first person I knew who was very, very sick in the hospital with COVID last year, and he did a very brave thing. He made a short video of himself that was shown on national news, actually, about dealing with fear. He asked, is our fear paralyzing us or is it catalyzing us to act? He says, fear is a good thing. One of the constant mitzvot is to fear always. And Rabbi Nachman says there are many types of fear. There is a fear that protects us from tigers and helps us to move away from danger. And there is a fear that debilitates us. Rabbi Nachman says, raise the fear to its source. What does that mean? So Rabbi Dov Zinger invited his listeners to do a writing exercise and to ask themselves, what do I fear during this time? This was the beginning of the COVID-19 outbreak when people were feeling literally shaky with fear. Rabbi Zinger was apparently afraid of his own health deteriorating. Bravely, he made the following suggestions to ponder. If I'm afraid of not being any longer, meaning if I'm afraid of dying, what is it about my life that I want to be here for? What we fear shows us what is precious to us and what we love. Maybe I'm not finished with my work in the world. I have more to give to the world. So I want to identify what that is so I can get to work on it. Or maybe I haven't yet found life to be as meaningful as I want it to be. So my fear is actually showing me how much I want to find meaning in my life. Or maybe I haven't spent enough time with people I love. I'm afraid of losing them. So what in my life are distractions from doing that? And what do I want to do? Who do I want to spend time with? Who is truly precious to me? The third time Masa shows up is when Rabban Gamliel says, we can't have a Seder any other time except for tonight. We can only retell, we can only relive the story of the Exodus when we have matzah in front of us. Rabban Gamliel says it's all about coming out of Egypt in haste. In haste. We didn't have time for our bread to rise. Why is haste important? Because 
when it's time to leave, for example, when it's time to leave a destructive or a self-destructive situation, a bad habit, a toxic interaction, or a job or a relationship, sometimes we need to make a break. We need to not linger. Sometimes it is God who intervenes in ways that are beyond our understanding. That's the humility of the matzah we eat on Seder night that's broken. It's the vulnerability of saying our lives are a process and we can only understand them looking back, not looking forward. We can enslave, we sometimes enslave ourselves by thinking that we can or must control the outcomes of our future. And sometimes it's clear that we're the ones who need to take the step. This is what the Israelites did when they tied up their lamb to their doorpost, to their bedposts. So the Egyptians would hear its cries and the Israelites slaughtered it at dusk when the Egyptians could see. The Israelites put the blood on their doorposts, maybe on the outside doorposts, to show that they were not afraid to reject the idolatrous and control-hungry culture of Egypt. Or maybe on the inside of their doorposts, because ultimately they had to strengthen their own resolve to leave. It wasn't easy for them to make the break. We will never be able to explain how, but we can believe that the action and the inaction in our lives are intertwined. Because when we show we're ready, either because we've taken the first step of action or because we have given up trying to know the right answer or using control to get what we want, then God gives us strength to become free. We might think that freedom is getting what we want, but there can be even more freedom in wanting what we get, in a kind of radical acceptance about the parts of our life situations that we are powerless to change. The fourth time that matzah shows up in the Seder is when we wash our hands for the matzah with a blessing. We prepare our hands that this should be a mindful moment for us. We make not one but two blessings. We say, acknowledging God for bringing our bread of affliction and our bread of liberation from the earth. And back to back with that, is the, with that is the fifth time that matzah shows up. We say a special second blessing before eating the matzah. Eating matzah is a special mitzvah only on this night, and we eat it reclining as free people. This is the matzah of surprise. The matzah of surprise. For Rabbi Soloveitchik in his book, eating the matzah is the experiential moment of encountering the divine as we relive this night of redemption, and it's all about surprise. In the Haggadah, he writes, in his book, Festival of Freedom, based on the Mishnah in Masechet Psachim, chapter 10, he quotes, that Rabban Gamliel interprets the meaning of matzah as follows. Matzah zu al shuma, this matzah, why do we eat it? Because our ancestors, though, did not have the time to become leavened before the King of Kings, the Holy One, blessed be he, appeared suddenly and redeemed them suddenly because they were thrust out of Egypt and could not, longer, could not linger any longer. 
nor had they, had they prepared for themselves food for the way. That's a quote from Exodus chapter 12, verse 39. In my opinion, says Rabbi Soloveitchik, Rabbi Gamliel wanted to say that genuine geulah, genuine redemption, always comes suddenly as a surprise, unexpectedly, and so often at a time when people are ready to give up hope. The redemption from Egypt consisted not only of the fact that our ancestors went from slavery to freedom, Rabbi Soloveitchik writes, but more important that this redemption and the revelation of the Almighty were a surprise to them. And I continue in my own words that for me, having faith means believing in the element of surprise. Believing in the element of surprise. There's a Midrashic saying that in the blink of an eye, things can change. Yeshuat Hashem keheraf ein. In the blink of an eye, in a moment, a shift can happen. A seed can be planted. A person can influence us. We can be inspired to make a change. Something very, very small. A conversation with a friend. History can take a turn for the worse or for the better in a moment. Who would have thought that the Jews would be saved from Haman's plan of annihilation? And what was the moment of that shift? Who could have believed that the Iron Curtain would fall and a former prisoner of Zion would be able to make Aliyah and would become a member of Israel's Knesset? And where was the moment of that shift? Who could have imagined the end of the Nazi regime leading up to a state of Israel? And where was the moment of that shift? Our individual life is a process. Nothing happens in a moment. But in a moment, with one move, our individual lives and the life of our nation and the world, actually, the world of nations, can begin to shift. The Jews were slaves, and then they came out with great wealth. They were homeless, and then they were given a home. That change became, began somewhere in a moment, in the moment that they decided to sacrifice the Passover lamb to turn their backs on the culture, on the control-hungry culture of Egypt. This, the sixth time um, that we encounter matzah is when we eat the matzah together with the bitter maror and the haroset. That's what's called the korech, the sandwich, or the hillel sandwich. Because as we grow up, we learn, sometimes the hard way, to accept that our process is not linear, there can be suffering even in our sweet periods of time, and there can be a silver lining of sweetness in our times of suffering. Freedom means letting go of the need to control the outcome. For me, control mode looks and feels like this. My vision gets very narrow and focused. My breath is shallow. I feel stressed. My mind shifts to the future, to the outcome I desire. I have less patience, less joy, and almost no present moment awareness. In surrender mode, when I feel freedom, I'm calm and peaceful. I can breathe deeply. I can be happy in the present moment. I can see myself with perspective, and I can see others more clearly, and I can desire to be in conversation with them no matter how differently we may, be, we may view a situation. The greatest irony is that attempting to control things actually can make us feel less in control. 
when I'm micromanaging and obsessing over how I want things done, I know that I'm in slave mode. The seventh and last time that the matzah appears is the game of hiding and seeking, and of course eating, the afikomen. The afikomen is our last taste on Seder night. It's our dessert. The last taste in our mouths is not Passover brownies, not strawberries with whipped cream, and not pistachio-flavored ice cream. Yum. The last taste is the matzah, representing the Passover lamb offering, which each, each and every person ate just a little bit of as an act of rebellion against slavery and against assimilation. We eat it, the afikoman, after finishing our meal, on a full stomach, and after many glasses of wine. Why do we eat it? Not because we're hungry, not because we need to, and not because it looks or smells tempting or enticing. We eat it by choice. We eat it to experience a moment, not of slavery, but of the freedom to choose to break out of slavery. This is the matzah of redemption. We choose to become more dedicated to preserving and living with the traditions that have kept our people connected to one another for over 3,300 years. We eat the afikoman matzah because we are seeking a connection with God. We eat it because we are seeking to continue to make a difference in the world. We eat it because we are seeking a connection to the aspect of our souls, which is eternal, which no one can take away, trample, or deport. If we follow the seven appearances of the matzah, we can see that it actually undergoes a kind of transformation, hopefully the kind of transformation that we ourselves can recognize in our own lives. When times are difficult, when I want to be in control, I can look ahead with fear or look back at my personal transformations and at our national transformations. That letting go, that trusting process, that trusting the process, that combination of using my fear to identify what my deepest values and desires are, together with the radical acceptance of what I can't change, can help us look to the future with more hope. On a personal note, as a young parent, I thought I needed to teach my children how to do things right. I thought I needed to have answers and solutions to their problems. So when I didn't have answers or solutions... I would often miss an opportunity to, opportunity to do something, to educate them, to explain something, for fear of getting it wrong. I was often too nervous about confronting their difficulties with faith, their issues with dress codes, and with a mistrust of tradition. And I grew up, because I grew up in a very principled home with rules and boundaries and relative calm. So raising my own children who through tantrums who rejected my request to move their shoes from the center of the room or to take a shower or to do their homework or to go to school taught me about vulnerability. My children taught me how sometimes to make the boundaries clearer and at other times to say, wow, I see how difficult this is for you. I don't know what to do. We'll need to think about it together. There was often not a solution rather a much deeper process that began in a blessed moment of relinquishing control, a moment of greater empathy on my part. I've shared in the source sheet my matzah meditation, my journey toward freedom and my relationships for Seder night. I'm not going to read it out loud, but I'm going to invite you to take a look at it. It's very creative and uh, original, 
and I think you um, might very much enjoy it. Chag Kasher V'Sameach. Have a wonderful Seder. Moving from slavery to freedom. Thank you for downloading this podcast, a production of the Pardes Institute of Jewish Studies. If you liked what you just heard, please give us a five-star review wherever you download your podcast today. Be sure to tune in next week for Parashat Shmini with Rabbi Michael Emerson. Thanks for listening.